Well, it's good to see so many here this morning. This is the time of the year where it's kind of a trade-off. Uh, during the holiday season, a lot of our own folks go and, and visit other places, but then we also get some of our folks back uh, visiting us and other visitors, and, and it's certainly glad to uh, see everybody here this morning. And if you are visiting with us, want you to know that you are very much appreciated and invite you, invite you back anytime that you can to be with us. We have been studying on Sunday mornings for quite some time the book of Hebrews. And we have looked at the idea that the main theme of the book of Hebrews, well, you could actually say there's four or five main themes, depending on how you looked at it. But one of the main things is to encourage one another. And we've used as our theme verse this out of Hebrews chapter 3, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And so the idea is is that we ought to encourage one another. And he spends a lot of time talking about how much better we have it, how much better our relationship with God is because of Jesus. What a better sacrifice Jesus was than lambs and bulls and, and goats. What a better high priest Jesus is than the high priest of the Old Testament. What a better covenant we have because of the covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ and the old covenant and on and on and on he goes. And you know, in the Bible, there are certain chapters that we just know by their name and chapter number. Psalm 23. Most of us kind of just know that that is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And if I were to ask you, what is the love chapter in the Bible? You would say 1 Corinthians 13. We all kind of understand that. And if I were to ask you, what is the great faith chapter in the Bible? You would probably say Hebrews chapter 11. Now, there's some other choices, by the way. But you would probably say Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we are this morning. The chapter that fo- this chapter follows the stern warning that we talked about last week against turning away from God and, and how terrible it is to, to fall into the hands of a, of an angry God or not an angry God, but the living God and how that if we keep on deliberately sinning, there is no more sacrifice for sin. There's nothing that can be done if we keep on deliberately sinning. God's done all he could. But then our writer, encourages us and he says but you people aren't going to be like that we're not going to be like that and he ends chapter 10 with these words but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who believe and are saved he says yeah here's the warning but we're not gonna have to worry about that are you are we That's kind of like the teacher says, you know, now here's what's going to happen if you get out of line. But you're not going to get out of line, are you? We're not going to have a problem, are we? And the writer says, no, no, no. We're not going to be the kind who shrink back. We're going to be the kind who believe and are saved. And then he goes into this chapter on faith. And it's an important chapter for us. It's a chapter that we have, we see, and we'll talk about later. The Hall of Fame of Faith. 
I like to call it that. I don't know what you call it. He talked about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and David and others. And he says, I could go on and on and on. And then in chapters 12, 1, he says, and we are surrounded talking about these people. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And I know that this isn't the way it is, but I just envision. I've never been to any of the Hall of Fames. You know, the, the football Hall of Fame or the baseball Hall of Fame. Or basketball. One of the days I'd like to go, but I just kind of get this idea of walking in and just seeing all the, the busts and the plaques and, and all those kinds of things and just kind of just kind of being in awe. And I get the idea that when the writer talks about all these men of faith and women of faith, that we walk in and we just, we're just in awe. And he says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then in verse 6 of chapter 11 that's on, on the screen, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I don't know about you, but that could be a little intimidating. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he goes on to talk about Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and all of those folks. And we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And it may be that we just kind of go, what chance do I have? Here's this, this faith and we're, we're to, to, to live up to this faith of all this, these great people that are surrounding us. And without that faith, it's impossible to please God. How can I ever get to that point? And we've kind of talked about this a little bit in the past, but we're going to look at it a little bit this morning. If faith is that important, then it would do us well to spend some time thinking about what faith is, what it does, and how we demonstrate it. And so first of all, let's look at chapter 1, or chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, where we get a definition of faith. I want to back up, though, if you're actually reading along with us. I want to back up to verse 39, the end of what we talked about last week, and let it flow together. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the first thing that we see from our definition is that hope or faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now we have already, our writer has already discussed hope on several occasions. He says in chapter 3 and verse 6 that we must hold on to our hope. In chapter 6 and verse 19, he says that hope is the anchor for our soul. In 7 and 19, he says that we have a better hope. 
And then as we looked back a few weeks ago in 10 and 23, he says that we must hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And then Romans chapter 8 and verse 24 says that we are saved by hope. Now we've looked at this and we've talked about it and we've discussed the biblical definition of hope. That when the Bible talks about hope, it is not, you know, like we use it. You know, I hope to win a million dollars. I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Just making the playoffs would be a nice start. But anyway, we're not going to go there. You know, not studying for that test and saying, ooh, I hope I pass. That is not the way the Bible uses hope. That is kind of a hit and miss, I doubt it, you know, kind of thing, iffy. When the Bible uses the word hope, it is assured. It is a certainty because it is based in God's promises and God's promises are sure. The definition I always heard was it is desire. Yes. Plus expectation. We don't just want to go to heaven. We expect to go to heaven. We don't just want what God has promised us. We expect what God has promised us. And you may say, "Woo! Been a little bold, isn't it? Isn't that being a little, you know, I don't know what the word is, but that's a little bit of whatever that word is. No. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. In 1 John, John says, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. I remember the old days when somebody might ask us, Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Well, it depends on what I did yesterday, or it depends on this, or it depends on that. We ought to be sure of what we hope for. We ought to know that we have eternal life. We ought to be confident, he says. So what is it that we hope for? If we're supposed to be sure of what we hope for, what is it we hope for? Now see, that's the catch. Because what we hope for really solidifies what our faith is. Do we hope for an easy life with no problems? Do we hope for plenty of money and never have to worry about losing our jobs or or our retirement fund, you know, crashing in the stock market? Do we hope for, are those the things we hope for? Now, those are the things we hope for. I'm not so sure how sure we can be of that. But when our hope is in what God has promised us, when our hope is in eternal life with him in heaven, 
When our hope is to go to that place prepared by Jesus. When our hope is in going to that place free from all the sorrows and pain in this life. And the confidence, the being sure of that is based in God's goodness and not our own perfection and righteousness. Then we can be sure of what we hope for. And that's what our faith is based in. And that's why when we go through these people in the Hall of Fame of Faith in a few weeks, we're going to see that not all of them, not all of them were sure about some of the things in this life. But they put their faith in God. And they put their faith in God's promises. And that made them sure. Being sure even when the circumstances suggest otherwise. We've talked about this, and I know some of you are thinking, this sounds a little familiar. For those of you that are visiting, maybe it doesn't. But for the, our, you know, this sounds a lot like some of the things we talked about when we did that whole series on faith and doubt, right? Yeah, well, it does, sorry. Maybe you forgot it, so you won't remember it. But we talked about the idea that, that having questions, our doubts did not nullify our faith because our faith is in what we are sure of. You see, we read all those Psalms. You remember all those Psalms where David would start off, blessed be God, praise be to God. You know, God is, God is great in Israel and I will give him my blessings and sing praises to his name. And then He goes into a rant. He kind of gets a little defensive. God, why is all this happening to me? Why are my enemies all around me? Why are the wicked people prospering? And everything I touch seems to fail right now. Why why are all these things happening? And then he would always end up with, but God is good in Israel. Praise be to God. You see, David didn't understand. But you see, David's hope was not in the things of this life. His hope was not in whether or not his enemies were against him. His hope was not in whether or not, you know, wicked people were blessed and he wasn't. His hope was not in these things. His hope was in God. And God's ultimate promises. Now, in his mind, he thought, this ain't quite right. This this doesn't look right. What's wrong with this picture? But he understood that the problem was with him, not with God. We'll get more, get back with that more in a minute. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. And number two, certain of what we do not see. Physical eyesight can produce conviction and certainty. Remember Thomas, the other disciples, Jesus met with them and and he comes in and they say, Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. We saw him. And Thomas says, "Uh -uh, I ain't believing you. I'm not believing you until I see him with my own eyes, until I can put my own fingers in the nail prints and the spear uh, wound in his side. I'm not believing you. And then lo and behold, a week later, Jesus appears. Notice that Thomas doesn't even need to put his fingers in the nail prints. 
he just drops to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, blessed are you because you believe. But blessed also are those who believe. Blessed are you because you saw and believed. But blessed also are those who do not see and believe. Yeah, you saw. But there's going to be others who come after you who aren't going to have that opportunity. And they're going to believe too. And blessed are they. Question is, is our faith a blind faith? Our faith in God. Is it a blind faith? You know, there's that verse in the Bible that says we walk by faith, not by sight. So that kind of maybe assumes the idea that, you know, our faith is a blind faith. But he says here, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I like the King James. The evidence of what we do not see. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 4. You see, by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You believe in things you do not see. Right? I believe in oxygen. I believe there is oxygen in this room. I can't see it, but I see the evidence of it. None of you are passing out. Well, some of you are, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) None of you are passing out by a lack of oxygen. I can breathe. I know there's oxygen there. I see the evidence of oxygen. I can't see gravity. But we ain't floating away. So I believe in gravity because I see the evidence of gravity. Even though I cannot see it. Faith gives us, I think, a spiritual sight to see beyond the physical. Remember Elisha and his servant at, uh, at Dothan. The Syrian army had surrounded and they were going to get Elisha. And Elisha and his servant go out on the balcony and they see the Syrian army surrounded the city. And the servant gets all upset and he goes, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, eh, don't worry about it. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I'm embellishing a little bit. But the servant's eyes got about this big. And he looked at Elisha and he said, with us, it's only us. And you better watch out, it may just be you. And Elisha said, and Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened. And when the servant's eyes were opened, he saw the army of God surrounding the army of Syria. You see, Our faith may not open our eyes to physical sight, but spiritual sight. 
We will see things in a, in a different way. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 20. It says that all men are without excuse because God has shown himself. God has revealed himself. He mentions here in other places just the idea of creation. And I know there are those who are out there who would, who would, who would just argue till they were blue in the face, till they passed out from no oxygen. And would tell us that there, you know, there cannot be a creator. There's no, you're just dumb for believing in God. I don't mean to be mean or cruel, but you're dumber for not believing in God. Design demands designer. We, you know, I don't know how many different illustrations I can come up with. I'm not very smart. I can't come up with very many. But if, you know, this building were not here and the next day we showed up and this building was here and you asked me how it happened and I said, it just happened. You know, we had kind of, we had the wood and we had the nails and, and we had some paint over here and, and we had, you know, whatever other stuff, some carpet, you know, and we had all this stuff kind of out here in the parking lot. And I guess in the middle of the night, there was a big explosion. And look what happened. You would think I had lost my mind. And you would be right. And yet that is what the world tells us happened at creation. That there was just all this stuff kind of floating around. And it just kind of hit it at the right moment. And just all exploded. And, and here it is. That makes absolutely no sense. We've talked about this before. I believe with all my heart that it takes more faith, more blind faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Because you see, yeah, there does come a point in time where we say, you know, God created everything and he created it out of nothing. But at least... In believing, and I don't want to make belief in God an equation, but at least believing in God, we get to an end point, God. Or maybe not an end point, a starting point. The point, God. But you see, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in creation, it's never ending. Well, there are all these gases, there are all these materials, there are all these, where'd they come from? Where'd they come from? Well, then where'd that come from? So you either believe that it all came from God or it all just magically appeared one day out of nothing. Now, which takes more faith? It takes more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. There are those who ridicule our faith, yet they live by faith every day. Oh, y'all just blind faith. I told you this before, you know. I don't understand how airplanes work. I don't get it. Big hunk of metal flying up there, floating in the air. Uh, You can talk about, you know, aerodynamics and thrust and propulsion and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But I'm a simple-minded person and that's five billion tons of metal just hanging up there in the air. It ain't supposed to do that. 
But I have faith because I've seen the evidence. The internet. How does that work? Where's all that information? Hanging out there somewhere. And you Google it and it comes down into your... Give me an encyclopedia. I'll explain what those are later. Not you, Owens. I wasn't talking about you. (laughs) I'm a mediocrely smart person. Not, I'm no brain scientist. I'm probably closer to the other end of the spectrum. But you could never in a million years explain the internet to me. You, you, I mean, you couldn't do it. But I believe it's there. I see the evidence. It, it works somehow. I don't, I don't get it, but it works. I, under, I don't. The evidence. And people who try to take away our faith or ridicule our faith live by faith every day of their lives. Now, there is a point. In which, I'll grant them this argument. There is a point in which we have to take a leap of faith. A leap of, if you want to call it blind faith. To believe in God. But what our writer here is saying. And what our writer in Romans says. Is that folks. It's not like trying to leap the Grand Canyon. It's a small step. Because of all the evidence. It's not a great leap. It's a leap. But look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. And thirdly, he says, he exists. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. And he who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, this is where we discussed before. The foundation of our faith is simple. I was proud of our, our, our young people that went on the, uh, the retreat we had a little while ago. Uh, because... I, and I don't know why, but they could go to any class they wanted to, but most of them came to my class. I, I didn't understand that. But anyway, they did. And so we were sitting there and we were talking about prayer, really, is what we were talking about, and different things. And, and so I said, and got into this, and I said, basically, our faith boils down to two things. And I said, can any of my kids tell me what those two things are? And in unison, several of them together said, what did they say? God is and God loves me. God is and God loves me. That is the foundation of our faith. That is what we have when every else part of our faith gets knocked around and pushed around and beat up. We have that foundation. God is and God loves me. God exists, it says here, and he rewards those. Who earnestly seek him. God is and God loves me. The evidence is there. 
God's love is evident. He sent his own son. He's given us his spirit. He's made promises to us. He is faithful. And we will see in weeks to come that those in the hall of fame of faith didn't always understand how and why God did certain things. How long did it take before Abraham got it? How many times did David, as we talked about, questioned God and was confused and was frustrated and didn't understand what was going on? We see it, and these aren't mentioned here, but in the sisters of Lazarus, you remember what both of them said when they first saw Jesus? If you had been here, he would not have died. Now that sounds like great faith, doesn't it? But was the statement true? Was the statement true? If you had been here, he would not have died. How do you know that, Mary? How do you know that, Martha? When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, could he not have healed him from beyond the river on the other side of the river? Absolutely he could have. But he didn't. You see, Mary and Martha assumed something. They assumed that what Jesus wanted and what God wanted was for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. It turns out they were right. (laughs) Only in a different setting. But we say things like that to God. If only you had done this. Why didn't you do that? I don't understand. You promised this. Did he really promise that? Is that really what he promised? And so our faith sometimes gets beat up because we are confused. We are frustrated with God. We don't understand God. Okay. But remember God is... And God loves you. When we don't understand. When our faith is in peril. When we are frustrated, confused, when we're questioning God. If we can just always remember. That God is and God loves me. So the problem is not with God. The problem is with my understanding. The problem is with my vision. The problem is with my expectations of what I think God has promised. If we can can focus all of our frustrations and questions under that umbrella of, okay, I don't understand this, I don't understand that, but I know this. God is and God loves me. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. Faith is not believing when we understand everything. Well, that's kind of sight, isn't it? Faith is believing and persevering when we don't understand everything. When we don't get it. And we'll talk about some of these individuals a little later on. Not absolutely, not absolute understanding, not perfect knowledge, but faith. Without faith, it says, it is impossible to please God. And without faith, it is impossible to go on. But we have faith. 
We are sure. We have hope. We are certain. And we will hold on. If you're here this morning and we can help you in any way, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.